0: Welcome to the Batphone Podcast, where we talk about combat sports, comic books, gaming, pop culture, and anything else my friends want to talk about. Hosted by yours truly, Nick, Batman Hughes. Picking up the Batphone this week is Dr. Tess Robinson. How's it going?
1: Good, good.
0: How are you this morning? Cold. Yeah, we're both clamming up on our coffees at the moment because it's cold in this little room uh, that I do the Batphone Podcast in, but... That's not the worst thing in the world. We can be cold. But um, you've got some things planned for today? You're going to do
1: some training? Yes, I am. I'm finally going to get back to Open Mat. (laughs) I haven't been to Saturday training for probably a couple of months because I've been working and I've been away and other things that I don't recall. Uh,
0: Other things including, like, you know, everything. I think based (laughs) on the breakdown that I gave earlier um, when I posted up that you were going to be on the Batphone podcast, People could surmise very quickly that you've got a semi-busy schedule that you uphold. And I, you know, one of the major questions that was coming through is how do you balance it all? How do you actually do all of this stuff that you do? But, you know, I've seen you walk into the academy like dead tired, but just happy to be here. You're always doing these things with a smile, you know? So jujitsu and the academy and the community, they must hold a pretty, a pretty strong place in your life for you to constantly want to come here. So that's a nice... That's a nice thing, but in saying that, you were one of the first people who ever held a membership at mm-hmm. Trinity Mixed Martial Arts. Were you number one or number two?
1: Zero zero two. Zero zero two. I you missed out, out by, by one. And who was number one? Was it Brody Greco? Oh, really? Who was sitting next to me and managed to scoot into the laptop with Natalie right before I could be number one.
0: <laughs> the test was zero zero two, so that makes you a true foundation member. And you know, following that timeline. You became a state champion in jiu-jitsu, a national champion in jiu-jitsu. You know, I remember that trip going away to Melbourne. Uh, you've competed on AGC Invitational successfully. You've risen through the ranks in jiu-jitsu, becoming now Brazilian jiu-jitsu purple belt. And I've always used you as a role model of learning. Every time we've had a grading, some of the major things that I've said, because, you know, I always get an opportunity to say... Uh, some pertinent things and some nice things as well. It's one of my favorite things about gradings. is I get to go down the the line and say nice things about people. But you're just a great example of what dedication to learning looks like. And you've been able to replicate that in so many different parts of your life. I know that uh, you've had a very strong academic push, you know, becoming, you know, going to medical school and going through that entire process is one of the most difficult things I can think of off the top of my head to ever undertake academically. Um, so I think that having gone through that, you've learned how to learn. Like that's been a strong part of your personality is learning how to learn it and then replicating that system over and over and over again. But within that, you've had some really strong outlets for the other side of your personality, this creativity aspect that you know you're a very good artist, you paint miniatures, you sketch. Uh, And even things like doing jiu-jitsu and rock climbing, they are creative expressions within themselves. You know, they're still physical uh, expressions, but they are creative expressions. So it looks like that's how you've balanced things. And look, you're also one of the only people at Trinity MMA to have had grappling-only bouts and a striking-only bout as well. So you've had a unique experience in that way. And you, I remember used to be sitting on the sidelines watching us do all of these things and watching all of the MMA fights watching Mike Turner and myself and and May and and before you ever stepped on the mats you were in and around the club before you ever became you know a functional practitioner so you must have an incredible perspective on the academy and, and martial arts in general and where do we start with it all I mean I've given this spiel but it's hard like give me the, the Tess Robinson induction into martial arts. We'll start there. We'll start like that. Oh,
1: right. boy. What a question. Um, <laughs> I mean, you're absolutely right. It's been a, a fascinating journey, and I think the perspective I've been able to gain over that time has been quite unique. Um, like you said, I spent over a year being the creeper in the <laughs> corner watching people and sparring. I <laughs> they used to call you the creeper. Yeah. Hey? I was reminiscing with Jake Chanel about that <laughs> uh, on Thursday um, because really I did just sit there and watch everyone and take it in, mm-hmm. but I was too scared to start actually training. Yeah. I was worried about disappointing myself, disappointing other people, even though they had no actual expectations <laughs> um and you know i i didn't know if it would be for me and i mm-hmm. didn't want to know what would happen if it wasn't um but as soon as i started men the environment that martial arts is and what it can bring to your life is something that you can't truly understand until yeah. you're within it
0: yeah i agree would you say that you know stepping into or stepping onto the mats or stepping into the world of martial arts, that sort of spurging on to take risks and take chances outside of what you were doing anyway? Like, would you have started rock climbing or started, you know, expressing creatively in other outlets if you had not have done martial arts? Or were you sort of on that track
1: already? I think that I grew up quite kind of focused on one thing, yeah. quite isolated in my academic pursuit. I mm-hmm. knew I wanted to get into medical school. Mm-hmm. That was what I wanted to do. So I had to just focus everything on that. I did very little sport in high school and when I did it was very brief um, because I knew that that was my focus. Mm-hmm. And I think that now that I've become a part of this community and I've you know, spent time trying to encourage other people yeah. to get involved it's changed my perspective on what taking that risk can add to your life and your personality and to that other main pursuit. If your pursuit is something academic, you know, you're going to get so much from the support and the alternate way of thinking that you can attain from sport. Um, And, you know, I think that's... Yeah, that's been really important Mm. um, as part of that journey.
0: Yeah. I I think something that we've spoken about in the past and that that you brought up to me as being quite pertinent, is like you can experience different kinds of fatigue Mm. and and that can manifest differently in your life. So what is the counterpart to that? You know what I mean? Like I I was always such the athlete-athlete person Mm. and my only context for burnout and fatigue was physical Mm -hmm. and that's like a very obvious thing like when you run down you run down you actually can't physically move anymore but certainly stepping into the realm of coaching especially really early on Mm -hmm. i just threw myself at the wall when it came to uh, mental application and i was fatigued in another way and it manifested differently Mm -hmm. in my personality when i started to try and do that all the time Mm -hmm and um i 've had my ups and downs with things, but I have to credit you because you 've been always there to you know to kick me the ass if i 've done some stupid shit around the academy and look, I mean, you laugh, but fuck you need that man you really need that you need those influences around people that you listen to and people that you trust, and I know that other people feel the same about about you and your role and within this academy and You've been here for so long, like you know, your, your footprints are in the concrete. There's a reason that we listen to you. There's a reason that we want you around, and there's a reason why you've forged your pathways towards having all of these opportunities. And I'm sure there's a reason why every couple of weeks you rock up with another group of people <laughs> into jiu jitsu. The new pups, as I call them, so I come over and I see you with just you know a new couple of females or a new couple of males. Maybe they're from you know in and around the medical fraternity or oh, not i'm not sure where they're from but you're clearly attempting to add something to their life because you knew it's you know it's added to yours as well mm. um but yeah i mean as I, as i mentioned briefly that mental fatigue i've seen you go through that and you've countered it with having this environment at trinity mma so people would think like i know it's the same with my work they're like oh how do you get up and work all day? I mean, it's so mentally draining. And then you go and smash yourself at jujitsu later on in the night. How do you do it? That must be so draining. I'm like, imagine if I didn't have that. Mm-hmm. Imagine if I didn't have this type of outlet. That would be wa- way worse, much, much worse. And I, I feel like you're in a similar position. Would would I be cre- cor- correct in assuming that that's kind of the place that it holds?
1: Yeah, definitely. I um, I think I was really fortunate to finally pull my finger out and start training when i did Mm. because when that you know the final years of medical school and being on full-time placement and getting ready for work and studying exams everything all at the same time having that space in my schedule for training was so important Mm. i saw so many of my colleagues and you know we talk all the time about burnout in junior doctors and medical students and Yesterday was Crazy Socks for Docs Day, which is a (laughs) mental health in medicine awareness day um, because it is something that we all know about but we can't really do anything about. So it's ongoing. Mm. Um, But I've seen some of my colleagues, you know, really struggle because early on they eliminated those extracurricular activities from their life. They said, I have to just spend my time studying. I've got too much to do. And I kind of went down the route of... You know maybe I won't know everything Mm. but if I eliminated training from my life I would be miserable Mm. if I didn't come to training I would have less energy I would feel significantly worse mentally and physically and I know that every now and again I do walk in the door here and it's probably been a mistake (laughs) and I will (laughs) drop my bundle and everyone gets to see me have a cry Most people who've been around here for a while (laughs) have seen me have a cry. I've seen everyone have
0: a cry and like, you know, Tess maybe a little bit more than others. Yeah.
1: We've we've raided (laughs) in recently. I've got a reasonable work-life balance at the moment. But I think, you know, having that space to not only come here and just forget about the day, but also if you are so overwhelmed that it is, you just come here and not your best self, but... You've got people around you exactly. who really care yeah. about your well-being. And it's
0: still okay. Yeah. It's not just a place to choke each other out. Exactly. It's a place to pat each other on the back as yeah. well. Do you present Jiu-Jitsu as, you know, a mental health alternative for your colleagues as well? Like when you talk about it, obviously you talk about it at work. Do you present it in that way or you just present it as this kick-ass thing that you can do?
1: Definitely I present it more so as this place to make friends, mm-hmm. a place to change your thinking to have some mental space where you're still learning and you're still active in your brain, but it's not stressful. Mm. Um, and definitely it, it's somewhere where I can just take a load off, just do something that's fun. Yeah,
0: I think it's very surprising to the, <clears throat> to the general public when they hear or see, or maybe it's highlighted the, to them, the amount of medicos that are actually involved mm. in jujitsu. There's so many from all different fields and facets as well, whether it's psychology and psychiatry, ambulance workers, like, you know, medical doctors, like whatever it is, maybe maybe not a, a bunch of surgeons, but like at the same time, you know, there's a lot of different people from different fields who partake in it. Um I think was it today tonight that came out and did yeah, something? Yeah.
1: Six years ago. Um, yeah. We um, were on today's night as women in MMA. Oh, yeah. The surprising group. Yeah. yeah. I like literally just started training, so it was a weird experience <laughs> for me because I was kind of saying, well, I'm not really in MMA. <laughs> like, but I do just. Yeah, like I train at the yeah. MMA gym, but. Like, there's only one person in this group of six people who actually (laughs) fights. But I appreciate what you're getting at. But isn't that always the case anyway? You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, realistically, the message that they were putting forward was, you know, this is a sport that has so many benefits that people don't see. People Mm. see this stigmatised cage fighting, all the negative aspects of what the culture could be. But the general populace doesn't see... All of those mental health benefits, yeah. the physical benefits, the relationship benefits that you get from mm-hmm. being in an environment like this. Yeah. Uh, and even they said at the time, oh, you're studying to be a doctor, a yeah. medical student. How do you do it all? Yeah, exactly. And I kind of gave them the same answer. You mm. just, you know, you, you prioritize what's important for your own well-being. And I know that if I didn't have this, i would be a misery.
0: Yeah. Well, that's it's a great answer to give because I think it highlights to people that you actually do need two of these aspects in your life. If you have this hyper intense drive, there needs to be a separate outlet that accents that or takes the edge off a little bit. Even if it is a physical pursuit, even if it's not a physical pursuit, you could be playing video games or painting hobby or, you know, rock climbing or sketch up. I don't you, you do all of that as well. So I guess... Uh, <laughs> I'm, so, I'm 100% going to be posting up like some of your artworks and things like this, because I think the more you get to see the scope of someone's personality, the more you can identify with them. And that's been a big part of this podcast as well. It's like, I, I know that everyone who tunes into this one is going to be listening because they want to hear about what you just said. Like, how do you balance this? You know, being a medical professional and being really dedicated to jujitsu and, and MMA and striking—how you know, do you do it? How do you do it? And your answer is sort is of. Like, I don't
1: do it that well. No, no,
0: no. <laughs> but your answer is kind of like, how do you not do it? How how would I not do it? Mm. You know what I mean? But it's not all that you are. Mm. It's not all that you are. And I think a, a great addition to that answer is adding different aspects to your life. Mm. It allows you not to burn out. It allows you not to get so hyper intense and, and hyper focused, which is, you know, a huge learning curve that I had to take within my own life. And I had some great people around me to, to guide me and help me find it. But, uh, at the same time, you know, we're still prone to doing that, that we go up and down, we go in waves of doing things, you know? Um, and that for me is why I'm one of the reasons why I'm not competing anymore, because I know what I'm like, mm-hmm. you know? I, mean, I know exactly what I'm like, but Competing for you has been a great outlet, Mm -hmm. and I've seen you achieve some fantastic things. You're in one of those uh, categories of people, uh, you know, maybe like Mike Turner or Declan or these people who they roll one way in the academy, and then they rise quite steadily when they compete. And I've seen you outperform people and outcompete people on the mat uh, very, very commonly. You know, you're, you're actually a very successful jujitsu practitioner. I would say if we had a look at your win loss ratio, it, it would be pretty impressive, pretty fricking impressive. Like you'd be able to count on your, on your hands, how many times you've lost in jiu-jitsu competition, but you've had countless wins and I've, I've witnessed it. I've witnessed it. It's, um, it's one of those things that if you were to sit here and reflect on it by yourself, you might not think of it that way. You might just think of it as stuff you did back in the day, but I've seen a lot of people compete and a lot of people sort of uh, falter mentally, including myself, you know, falter mentally when it comes to that hurdle of competition and and shy away from it. And then I've seen other people excel. Um, another one of those people, just a complete natural is is Tom Crosby, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like just one of those people who can just be who they are, hold them that and be really successful at the same time and then rise and rise their skill level. But um, for you, You know, if you take me back prior to maybe your first jiu-jitsu competition or your first couple Mm -hmm. of jiu-jitsu competitions, what did competing represent as an opportunity for you in your
1: life at that time? It was complicated. Mm -hmm. I've always had a very complicated relationship with competition. Uh Being a sprinter in high school, I was the guy sitting on the side of the track, (laughs) like dry heaving, because I was so anxious about competing but then I would always still be able to run Mm. because when it was time to go it was just time to go um so in the lead up to that competition it was my first real competitive venture like as an adult in the sport that I have chosen um and it was a long process I I would come to open that on a Saturday and be like coach, do you think I'm ready? <laughs> what do I need to do? I, I don't know anything. I don't <laughs> yeah, know more right, yeah.
0: I don't know anything. You know how many times I've heard that? Oh, man. It it's like, you really do. I mean, yeah. You clearly
1: do. It went on for a long time. Mm. And then I kind of set my sights on doing this synergy competition. And I was like, yeah, this is going to be great. And mm. then I hurt my shoulder. And then that was kind of a month or two of like getting back to full contact rolling and doing everything that I was doing and then it was time for states and I went I just have to just have to do this otherwise I'm going to chicken myself out I'm going to decide that I don't need to do it but I guess for me it was and it always has been in competition a chance to really not prove to myself but assess where I'm really at find out yeah Because I have the imposter syndrome to the max Mm -hmm. in every aspect of my life. And, you know, I can be here and I can do well in roles for a whole night and I can still be like, oh, maybe they were going easy. Maybe maybe I just got lucky getting that sub, whatever. Um, And the chance to actually compete against people I don't roll with, I didn't know at the time, now I do, was a unique opportunity to really just get that benchmark mm. where actually am I at in mm. this can I be good at this sport and I guess what's the trajectory from there yeah it's it's
0: very interesting how many high achievers have that have that imposter syndrome idea in and, you know even myself to a certain extent I'm not saying oh I'm this massive high achiever but you have to imagine you know when I was thrust into the position of coach the majority of the people that i was coaching at the time were many years my senior mm-hmm. so they're putting me in a position of authority and responsibility and duty and that's probably why i took it really seriously but at the same time i'm questioning myself like mm-hmm. do i really have the capacity to aid these people who i look up to and i respect and you know i hold i place them above me mm-hmm. and they're placing me in this position of authority like i i better live up to this you know what i mean i better work out. i suppose that's where it comes from right yeah so if you don't believe you're worthy for whatever nonsensical reason you're gonna work your ass off to be worthy or you're gonna or you're gonna shy away mm. but did you come to these points of realizations throughout competing that yes in fact no i am good at this i do have uh potential for this i am more composed on the mat i'm negotiating things like i can see what's happening because i certainly went through the same thing like there was a there was a point in time when i was competing where it was just white noise Mm -hmm. but then eventually i was much more present and i could see things that i felt like other people weren't seeing they weren't quite on the same wavelength of me when we were competing um you know i asked you this question because that's what i observed you know especially in those competitions like at Nationals or at Grappling Industries when you took that step up to Bluebell, mm. now the way you are on the mats was so much more uh, like precise and strategic and logical and composed. Did you feel that yourself?
1: I think I did. I think probably the Grappling Industries before I went to Nationals was the one where I really went, oh, okay, I've actually kind of put some of this together now. Yeah, um, And even though I still had that burning anxiety, I could put that out of my mind and actually think about techniques still, mm. which was a switch that had flipped. Yeah. In my first comps, I was shaking so hard that my opponent could feel me shaking. <laughs> and they're like, are you okay? Yeah, legitimately after the match, I was asked, uh, were you okay? They're like, What what was happening <laughs> there? Don't worry about it, it's just adrenaline. I'm mm. um, but certainly, I think before nationals, that was why I kind of came to you, mm. came to Mike, talked to some of the other guys and said, I think we should actually go. Yeah. Like, is there a way we can make this happen? I want to have my coach there, so I need to con other people into coming with me. Mm. But I, I felt like I had a reasonable shot and that was probably one of the first times that I'd properly believed in my yeah. own ability to maybe do okay. Mm. And then at that conference. Comp- I did. Yeah, um,
0: and that was one of the deepest divisions I've seen uh, in female jiu-jitsu for quite some time. You know, obviously it was uh, you know it was a national competition, so there was going to be more practitioners there. But unfortunately, sometimes in the female ranks, like you get amalgamated divisions, you get one or two people in your weight class. The weight classes can vary really drastically. Like you've got a heavier woman who's at you know just below seventy or just above seventy, and then you've got females who are. 50 kilos 55 you know 57 uh, and they're sort of like it's always difficult to get a group of four together around the same weight class to make these divisions so you either get dual divisions which have been amalgamated or you just get an over under Mm -hmm. like um, they make a weight and they go all right everyone over this weight this is your class your class now everyone under this is your class now and it sucks but that wasn't the case on the day Mm. um you actually got really deep divisions in all of your divisions and you did amazingly well and you had to assess and you had to adapt and that was like a real jiu-jitsu competition experience like that was one of the, the biggest ones and the realest ones I was really proud of you for doing that I think that was like Tessa's competitive coming out party and after that like yeah it just got better and better from there um And again, this is why I can use you as a role model for learning within the academy. I think some of the things that you've been able to achieve, yes, on the mat and in your life uh, are very impressive, but that doesn't happen by accident. You know, those things happen because of serious effort and serious thought and serious introspection about what it is that makes you better or how to get better. And some of those increments and progression are microscopic or it would feel like you know what I mean so you've really got to look hard and you've really got to put put the axe to the grind but I think you have a great way of relaying that to people now as well because I hear you on the mats when you talk to new people or when you talk to people who are around about your skill level as well and one of the things that you're able to do very very well is relay your past experiences to them and relate it to them and what they're going through right now and it can be as simple as Making a statement like oh, I remember when I did this or I remember when this it normalizes their experience for them And because you've lived it and they and they trust you and they know you've lived it you get people through some harder times and I know that for what we've discussed in the past is like uh, Females working with females on the mats is very important. Very very important even trying to choke people out who've got ponytails and hair like remember the epiphany that we had I'm like why can't we get our hands behind the heads because they've got this massive hair bundle at the back I can't snake my hand in for this rear triangle to get the pressure and it's like well that's funny but like there's experiences that you would have had in academies and on the mats that I just simply cannot relate to and I cannot Relay that experience or relay understanding of that experiences to, to new female practitioners or even to experienced female practitioners mm-hmm. and the fact that you're in the position That you can and you do it you don't do it like you don't pull people into a room and say this is what you got it You just it's all within the process and it's all within a really positive environment and It's really helpful and I know that that's how you build trust with people and that's how you build a community and um one of the questions that came through obviously you've been involved in this for quite some time now what is your perspective on female jiu-jitsu and opportunities for growth in female jiu-jitsu within south australia have you seen a steady progression have you seen trends up and down Uh, and what is your viewpoint on where it's at
1: right now when i was competing a lot as a white belt we did have a reasonable cohort of women who were competing Mm -hmm. we were certainly not all in the same weight class and not all at the same rank but there was quite a few of us who were regularly competing then i think after kind of i got my blue and i kind of was looking a bit more towards some striking stuff Mm -hmm. i did see that there was a bit of a drop off in women competing and i think i've seen over the years that because historically there weren't very many colored belt Females in South Australia, um, it would be that, you know, uh, that group of women would get their blue belts and then, you know, people weren't able to compete for whatever reasons mm. work, other focuses and so the divisions dwindled and dwindled mm. and dwindled. And at that time, there probably weren't that many new women starting competing mm. either. So there was a, a break of a couple of years. Ah,
0: I see what you mean. Like, if there's a lot of people and they're at white belt and then some of them get their blue belt, that thins out that white yeah. belt crowd and then the blue belt crowd, it's like what incentive do they have to continuously compete against the same yeah, people? Yeah, exactly. Because it's an even even thinner crowd at yeah. that point in time so there's going to be like a, a little bit of a lot. Yeah, I guess. Exactly. And you're saying you experienced that. Yeah, I mean,
1: certainly I watched it happen and we were pretty fortunate that we had promotions in South Australia who did incentivize women competing. Yeah. There were, you know discounts or all sorts of different things that they set up for females to sign up um and after a couple of years you know we've seen this massive growth recently Mm. in the number of women who are training the number of women who are cross-training and you know forming these bonds between each other um and i think you know a lot of that can be attributed to what what was happening at AJA with Kate mm-hmm. Wilson yeah, that's and her female agree. group. Yeah. She had this really supportive group of strong females who yeah. were all training together and making each other better and competing regularly interstate as well. Um, and then since AJA kind of has disbanded, they a lot of them are at beachside and, again, training really successfully and powerfully with each other. Yeah. But there's this culture, I think, within the state of... All of, all of us females keep in touch. Okay. And so there is, we have a Facebook group and we <laughs> used to, pre-COVID, organise open mats yep. more than we have recently. Yeah. Uh, we will get back to it, I think, hopefully. Uh, but, you know, we, we do understand that part of mm. getting better, especially with the unique challenges that you can face as a female in, you know, a physical yep. sport like this, um, getting better involves each other and yeah. training with each other at every opportunity yeah. uh, and you know we've been really fortunate fortunate to have people like Jess Fraser come and yeah. do a seminar down here and again reiterate that importance of that yeah. that female community and certainly it's something that Avery and I being the higher ranking females within Trinity are seeking to perpetuate just within our own
0: gym and you certainly do you know that's certainly something that i've observed you know having yourself and as i said avery and we spoke to avery about this as well having you in those leadership roles those very natural leadership roles as well it's not like i have to pop you on a pedestal and say hey everyone look at this person." it's just it's just very naturally happens because you lead by example Um, and you lead by intention as well everything you just spoke about is the intention to grow the community and to add positive aspects to it and possibly development aspects to it as well. Uh, Jess Fraser with Australian Girls in Geek, which is uh, an initiative that she started quite some time ago, I think almost a decade ago now. Possibly, possibly even more. Yeah, it's
1: more. This year was their 10-year camp celebration.
0: Yeah, that's quite an amazing feat. And she's collaborated with some very strong leaders within within the community on her way you know jesse rose clark was one of them um chantelle thompson was one of them who is just absolutely amazing and has been one of my big inspirations within the the sport of jiu-jitsu for a very long time and you know um you know kate wilson as you mentioned and jess fraser herself we're talking about world champions right now Mm -hmm. we're talking about people who have competed on the highest level of the sport and succeeded you know, I, I don't want to gloss over that and sweep that under the rug because those are the people that you want at the forefront of progression and development in a really positive way. Mm-hmm. And it shouldn't be understated what they've been able to achieve. And you know, from the outside of looking in now, the female leaders that we have, even within the state of South Australia, Kate, as you mentioned yourself, Avery, Taylor Ford, they are just absolute pinnacles of skill. And talent like these are the shining lights of what can be achieved and there's just so many more we could sit here and rattle off so many more awesome female I mean you know I'm biased so So I'm gonna say Jackie you know but at the same time like I wouldn't be lying you know this just and you want to highlight it because it deserves to be highlighted there's just such a groundswell of development that's taking place. But again, it's not an accident. It has to come from somewhere and it takes strong leaders to do that. I remember uh, having a conversation with Kyla Bremner, who was one of the former Commonwealth Olympic uh, representatives for Australia. She actually uh, migrated here from Canada, I believe. And she was talking about how the collaborative effect of, you know, she was uh, talking to Jess Fraser at the time. They had just met. And I was like, okay, <laughs> this is going to be good. You know, the collaborative effect of, you know, different grappling arts and different leaders from different communities coming together, mm-hmm. the effect of that might not take place acutely in that moment in time, but it will in the years to come. It might take three years, four years, five years, because you instill things within people who are going through that process. Like if Jess Fraser or Kyla holds a camp, like a women's wrestling camp or uh, Australian girls and Gee. Gi- the the white and blue belts who are attending that camp they get exposed to that type of environment and then in the follow-on years at purple and brown they want to bring that type of development opportunity to all of the people that they've met all of the females that they've met Mm -hmm. and that's the cool follow-on effect that we want to keep going and you know there's some really when when i look at the potential for match-ups and things like that now like like Nora versus Taylor or Taylor versus Pippa and stuff like that. It seems to involve Taylor a little bit, but maybe we should involve uh, Tess in the in the mix at some <laughs> point and get Avery in there as well, you know. But look, there's, there's potential for matchups that are really, really exciting and I hope they come to fruition because, yeah, it's just good for grappling. It's just mm. good, you know, it's good entertainment as well. Like, I want to see what happens. I want to see what goes down. But I think you've got a lot to be proud about and moving forward it's it's only going to get better it's only going to keep increasing and keep growing and that inevitable leadership role that you will step into in the academy that only will be solidified even more and more and more in, in an official capacity as I said it's it's inevitable and natural um but outside of all of these things one of the other things I mean Priska wants to know how you're sort of jacked all the time you know she's <laughs> asking me about how, how to gain, you know, shoulder mass and grip strength and you know, what's, what's the secret behind hyper athleticism? She may not have put it in all of those words, but <laughs> I'm throwing her under the bus at the moment. But you've got some secret admirers. I think when you're posting shots of you rock climbing and you're flaring your lats out and she had Prisca just like, I want that.
1: I want to be like that.
0: She doesn't sound like that, but <laughs> that's okay.
1: I think, I mean, when people ask me that question, I've only ever lifted weights for maybe like 15 weeks of my life. It's not my jam. I get really frustrated by not being able to lift something heavy. So I just, it's a difficult concept for me. So instead, kickboxing and rock climbing Ah. and just constantly having your shoulders in an extreme state (laughs) of fatigue. Must have something.
0: (laughs) This is the secret to being jacked. You heard, it, you heard it here first, Briscoe, rock climbing. Yes. And it's time to start striking.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, realistically, the, the strength that you have to develop within your shoulder girdle and, you know, around your delts to be able to hold your arms mm. for striking, for even for wrestling. I think that's probably yeah. actually where it started, is like clinch work and, you know, really strong grip work in wrestling. And then more recently, rock climbing and... My body's not particularly heavy, but heavy enough that my arms have to work
0: hard. Um, Well, it's time under tension as well. It's like gymnasts who participate at you know, elite level gymnasts, like they're not doing lots of hypertrophy work in Mm. the gym. They're not rapping out to 12 or to 16 to Mm. failure it's just time under tension it's mm-hmm. that constant isometric grind through movement like things like the rings and pommel horse mm-hmm. and things like that or things like uh being on a bar or balancing as well like mm-hmm. a beam and stuff like think, look at the uh, average leg size and glute size of a female gymnast is ridiculous mm-hmm. you know and that's just all time under tension and, and on the male side like the biceps and like uh, chest and shoulder girls just ridiculous like mm-hmm. But they're not, you know, pumping iron in the gym. I think that's a similar type of athleticism that you will get from wrestling, that Mm -hmm. you will get from jujitsu, or from rock climbing. Those things are quite transferable Mm -hmm. because it's just that constant isometric squeeze. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think rock climbing is probably more efficient in that way. Like the technique is based on efficiency of your squeeze. You're not trying to like, you can't Mm -hmm. burn your muscles out and burn your hands out. So you're sort of like doing the the most with the least amount.
1: Yeah. absolutely, I mean I had a really terrible day of rock climbing <laughs> about a month and a half ago and one of the, the regular rock climbers that I go climbing with, he's a brilliant rock climber and he also does a bit of jiu-jitsu every now and again mm. and I was really struggling, I was stuck on the wall just holding on for dear <laughs> life in full tension and he said to me, Tess Think about jujitsu. You can't be holding on at full strength and full tension the whole role. It doesn't work. You need to pick your moment. Be balanced. Be flowing. Pick your moment that you need that tension. Mm. Because that's the only way you can be efficient in this. Mm. Or you just burn out. Your forearms get pumped out. Your hands forget how to hold on. And you end up you know, nowhere because you're not actually effectively using Mm. those muscle systems. And, I mean, that's exactly the same as jiu-jitsu. It's exactly right.
0: I can definitely see a lot of parallels between jiu-jitsu and rock climbing. I think there's a lot of crossover athletes who are using it for cross-training now, especially Mm. now more than ever. But, you know, being someone who's not experienced in it, what are sort of the mental pathways that you go through when you're climbing a wall, would you correlate that to jujitsu, or is it a different skill?
1: Similar, but also different. Hmm. Um, I think it has similar aspects in that a lot of it can be very mindful. Mm-hmm. So similar to people who can just flow roll and... You know, you you know what all of your pathways are, and you're just moving through what you know mm. and moving through those patterns that your muscles already know. Um, certainly, that can be part of climbing. When you get to those harder climbs that have these crux moves that are really hard, mm. it can be, you know, like being trapped under someone who's twice your body weight, and you just feel frustrated <laughs> and you can't. You feel like you can't get there. You maybe can't reach what you needed to reach or you're just struggling to keep that grip on enough that you can move your foot mm-hmm. or move your arm. Um, and that is quite similar. Yeah. Um, but then there are also different aspects that a lot of people struggle with with climbing, which I'm grateful I, I don't have much of a problem with heights, but certainly there is mm-hmm. that extra element of the the panicked feeling that you might actually be in danger, yeah, yeah, which probably is quite similar to you know starting jujitsu before you learn that you're not really in danger.
0: Trying to surmise that threat versus true Mm. danger versus just being uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, and
1: different people have different capacities to switch that off. Yeah, and a lot of the really good climbers I've seen and had the opportunity to spend time around. Can just almost completely mm. turn that
0: off. Yeah, that's they very can, impressive. Yeah, but wouldn't I mean obviously in speculation, but wouldn't that urgency and that adrenaline make you sharper in moments? Like people learn how to channel it when they need it, or is it just like blank?
1: If you can channel it, yeah, it can be good. Yeah, but it needs to be at a manageable level. Mm. And if you get to a level where you're so stressed that Mm. your whole body is surging with adrenaline your legs are shaking i mean you can't keep your toe on this three millimeter little edge on a flat surface Mm. and hold your whole body weight up if your leg is shaking like a leaf
0: you know you know what's crazy like as you as you're saying these things it makes so much sense i've always thought that the physical aspects of rock climbing were the most transferable jiu- to jiu-jitsu and of course I, I certainly believe that they are but that instinctual assumed danger of being high up on a wall that might be the most transferable aspect to jujitsu. like understanding that i'm underneath this person or i'm in combat engaged in combat that threat level that instinctual threat like Having to execute and perform movements and strategies and tactics and techniques and things you've learned under that duress and in that environment, that might be the most transferable thing about it in total. i never even thought of that perspective until, until the words came out of your mouth. That's awesome. Maybe I need to do some rock climbing. <laughs> I
1: think everyone needs to do some rock climbing. Honestly, it is such an amazing sport. And again, it's like jiu-jitsu in that there is such an incredible community of people. Yeah, You go to the bouldering gym. And if someone's seen you there once before, they'll like, if they're climbing the same climb as you, you like talk about the details of the climb. If you're struggling, they'll try and help you. If they're struggling, you try and help them. And it's like watching someone struggle in a role where even if you're not their best mate, you go, oh, how about if you try this? And it just builds this camaraderie because everyone's got these same... Everyone wants to get better. Mm. And there's not this competitive... I can't do that climb, but you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you celebrate yeah. people for doing this. That's one hundred
0: percent. I love that. That I love communities like that. You know, the skate the skating community is very very similar, regardless of your skill level. If you if like people see you rock up to the skate park day after day, even if you just learn how to ollie, mm. if they see you trying to ollie over and over and over again and you're failing and then they see you get it that one time they'll be slapping their deck on the ground and saying, well done, you know what I mean? And even if it's like a you know, the twelve year old Grom with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth saying, Yeah,
1: if I can do the best guys
0: You know, he's like unnaturally gifted for, <laughs> for his size and attributes, you know what I mean? But they'll still encourage you. They'll still give you tips, you know, on stuff. And it's interesting that different communities you can draw those parallels between mm. them and obviously Jiu Jitsu is, is another one that we can incorporate mm. in that that's a really cool insight, thanks for that I appreciate it, yeah we're going to have to we'll do a Trinity rock climbing day
1: I have talked about it, it's just not it come to fruition yet <laughs> but, work in progress
0: we're, we'll have to go bowling first <laughs> just ease it into everything I can't bowl, I can't bowl at all uh, but I think the other things that uh, you know I wanted to ask you is, obviously I want to give everyone the total scope of of Tess Robinson the artistic side, so I know that you're a fantastic sketch artist I've looked at some of the work you've done I really like Venom and Deadpool and uh, and Joker as well you did a fantastic piece from Arkham Origins and you've also done some pieces of The Last Guardian as well, there's some really really cool ones there Uh, And I've seen firsthand the products that you've been able to produce in terms of your hobby painting as well. Painting miniatures is a difficult, difficult pursuit that you have to put a lot of time into. And again, you have to learn these. It's a completely unique form of painting as well. It's not like if you know how to paint a portrait or if you know how to paint a a wall, you're not going to be able to paint miniatures, even a lick. It's a completely unique skill set within the world of artistic Expression But you've done amazingly with that, with some of the models that you, you I think probably you're, you're one of those people, like, as you know, with the hobby itself, with Warhammer, if Age of Sigmar or 40k, there's so many different aspects to the hobby that people gravitate towards. You can throw yourself into painting, throw yourself into the lore and the fluff like I did. Um, gaming as well, if you really want to play the game, you'll, you'll just go into the meta of the game and just destroy yourself. Uh, And then there's, you know, the collection aspect of the hobby as well, which again, I, I really like, but what it looks like for you is it's the painting, it's the presentation, it's the, the aesthetic and the process of putting it all together because you can make it however you want it to be, make it look however you want it to look. And then as you see it come together, I mean... I'm. I i do not know if you're a tinkerer or not. Like the the job's never done mentality. Like I can oh, always no,
1: when it's done, it's done. Oh, okay, good, good, good. I have to put it down. Otherwise, I will keep going.
0: Yeah, um, but where did where did this artistic flair begin? Yeah. Did it start pen to paper? As oh, little man. tests, mini tests. Yeah, it
1: did. I used to. My dad is an incredible artist. Yeah. Who never really recognize recognised that talent, okay. I don't think. So my whole childhood was, you know, my dad just scribbles crazy-looking drawings all over, bits of paper all over the table. And it used to be me running to him and saying, Dad, draw me a face. <laughs> so he would draw me some, you know, beautiful lady's face with yeah. long-flowing hair, and then I would colour that in, and I would practice shading and practice the lines, and then I would try and copy his drawing. Because the proportions that he was able to create with, like, one line and not even thinking about it in five seconds at the kitchen table was just, I I couldn't even imagine how easy that was for Mm. him. Um, So I was always a drawer through school. I cannot paint a portrait to save my life. Ah. uh, I'm sure that if I really tried, I might be able to make something adequate. But painting on a flat surface is just not not my thing. Mm. Um, I can sketch, I can draw, I can occasionally colour, but then the opportunity came about for me to start collecting Warhammer, and I I wasn't sure how I would go. I started with a very easy (laughs) army. I had Necrons. Oh yeah,
0: I remember your Necrons.
1: Silver (laughs) robot men, which required minimal effort, maximal reward, and... The only bit that I put effort into was their guns, which were orange with lightning. I remember them. And I had
0: to drop them, and they kept getting back up. <laughs> yeah,
1: they won't go down. Get that's off so, their
0: lawn. So frustrating. <laughs> we've we played games of Warhammer against each other with my uh, with my author, my psychic space elves, and uh, and your robot zombies, and uh, mm-hmm. they are. You know, eternal enemies as well, because basically, um, you know, the Necrons have been around for a very, very, very long time, but lay dormant. And then, well, the Space Elves decided that they were the masters of the universe, and they were going to settle on all of these uh, different planets. And unfortunately, the Necrons were laying dormant on those planets because mm-hmm. they were their planets. They were the uh, original people of those nations. And then, uh, well the Space Elves decided that they were going to come in and take over, and they, they didn't know. They didn't know Tess. Okay, they didn't know. Maybe they did know because they're psychic. But
1: well, I don't know. <laughs> A little bit
0: minor, Let's just say it created a you know an eternally lasting blood feud that still goes on to this day.
1: Yeah,
0: unresolved, unresolved conflict. Uh, yeah,
1: I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's an incredible hobby. It is, yeah. and ultimately I have gotten into almost every aspect of it. I I don't read all the background because I don't have time, but. I've got something ridiculous, like maybe 4,000 points worth of necrons yeah. at this point in time.
0: Um, the, I remember your, um, was it the Catan? Which one? Oh, the the big, um, the trapped god inside the sphere. What is that called?
1: Yeah, the the transcendent Catan in he, the...
0: What? Oh, what is it called?
1: <laughs> when he's not in it, it's called an obelisk. But yeah. when he is in it, it's called something else. The Tesseract Vault.
0: The Tesseract. Oh, my God. Those things were so incredibly impressive when you were painting them. Like, I remember the process that you were going through. But, yeah, just... It's it's so awesome when you see a fully painted army on the table. Mm -hmm. And, like, you know, fully painted terrain and everything like that. But I I would say, pound for pound, some of the most impressive stuff you've done is the Age of Sigma work that you've done.
1: Mm. I think it's, you know, the fantasy realm and the design of more... Humanistic type characters allow for a lot of creativity. Yeah. And, you know, within my army, which is now called Daughters of Cain, but were dark elves. Yeah. Um, elves as a whole have so much capacity for, you know, tailoring and creation to your own yeah. imagination.
0: Dark elf, high elf, wood elf, like mm-hmm. Silver as well, and just everything, mm-hmm. like everything between that.
1: And those models have such incredible detail that you really can yeah. just make them beautiful.
0: Man, if I if I was going to do an Age of Sigma army, I used to think I would be an ogre's guy, mm. but honestly, it looks wood elf to me. Yeah. Like it's so appealing. Like having you know just you know archers backed up by tree fiends and backed up by this yeah the whole the whole idea of the silver meth like tree creature army. is super cool looking. It appeals to the small child in me.
1: (laughs) Oh, I agree. I mean, they were what I, out of all the new models that had come out over the past, however long, five years or something, Mm -hmm. the Sylvanath, when they were first released with the the elves riding the deer floating through the forest, was just an incredible visual. The trees are amazing. Mm -hmm. But I have too many friends who have... Those models?
0: Yeah, but I mean, when I see them, I'm like, how would I ever even conceptualize painting that? But when you see it, you're like, oh, I'd love to paint mm-hmm. that. And that's the difference. That is the difference, right? Uh, so, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to like collect it to make it part of your army. You can just mm-hmm. collect it to make it a, a standalone piece. What's, what's your favorite standalone piece? That might be a hard question. What's your favorite two standalone pieces that you've done? You mean two? My
1: favourite is by Alara the Ever Queen, which is a Sylvaneth model, Yeah. Um, and I was very tactical and fortunate in that I made myself the last person who entered Matt Budd's Warhammer Store's Secret Santa, so that then he had to buy my Secret Santa present, <laughs> and the last person who he buys the yeah. present for, he's always very generous, and we are friends, so that <laughs> helped. So, so
0: you played the system heavily.
1: Oh yeah. Everyone tried, but I was the most <laughs> successful.
0: That's classic.
1: And, you know, I'm very grateful that he did get me that model. Mm-hmm. And it took me months and I, you know, my process of painting models is very disjointed and not very replicatable because I do just mix paint colours mm-hmm. as I go. So I, I don't plan out if every leaf is going to be this colour. I kind of just randomly am mixing colours on the palette, and then when it dries out I'm like, oh balls, I have to remix that now, (laughs) why did I do that? How do I replicate that? Yeah, Yeah, but it kind of creates this dynamic situation where lots of things aren't the same colour, they're all kind of unique, I try to do as much blending as I can, and Yeah, that one in particular because I don't have the army and it is a huge model with so much detail really just became this thing that I can put on a shelf that I'm really proud of as a piece of artwork as opposed to a model in my army that I'm going to play with. So that would be my favourite. My second favourite is what I'm currently working on, which is a Catan Shard of the Void Dragon. It's a Necron model but it's a new design that's got such interesting, fascinating detail that it's not just a silver robot man. (laughs) It's this beautiful like whirlwind of pieces of rock floating in the air with this shard of a god projected from its prism and it's a lot of work, but I'm getting there. Mm -hmm. So stay tuned. It will be on my Instagram eventually.
0: I'm looking forward to it and like some of the pieces that have been painted for me like Eldrad Mm. from Mike Mm -hmm. oh my god that is absolutely amazing and I have to say also the Avatar of Need um, that Mm. Goddard did Mm -hmm. wow I just I got it back and I'm like I could never do this like I could never a I'm not artistically inclined and I could just never conceptualize it and bring it together the way that they did. But to a certain extent, I do understand it because I painted a whole bunch of my Ulthwaite, right? Yeah. And it's the easiest, most whatever color scheme. I didn't pick the Ultway the, you know, the Ulthwaite craft world because that was such an easy color scheme. Mm-hmm. I picked them for the fluff. Like, mm-hmm. for me, I'm, I'm all about the story and the the back the history of um, you know, Eldrad, Ulthran, and the the seers, and all that kind of stuff. That's what appeals to me. But I remember painting a very basic color scheme on a Guardian when Mike Turner showed me how to paint things. Uh, you know, bone helms and bone weaponry, and uh, just a little bit of gray highlighting and edging and that kind of stuff. And then he showed me how to do the red gem, right? The first inside layer, the second layer with, like, orange, and the third layer with an dark with a with a lighter color i'm like why are we going dark to light because you're gonna put a little white dot right in this place and it's like the light hitting it and shining through it i'm like wow that looks really cool and then he said we're not finished yet we put one little bit of hard coat on it and as soon as i put that shiny glossy hard coat on the gem and it all came together i held up this tiny little guardian and i'm like this is the greatest thing i've ever held in my hands this is the moment I have become a painter. I was like, but that's it's so rewarding and it's so hard to to communicate that to people who are outside of the hobby who haven't experienced it before. Like, I was one of those people for the longest amount of time. You know, I remember just wanting to, to hang around and be around Mike and be around friends when they were at, I think it was like one of the old hobby matrixes when they were just on Warhammer Day, mm-hmm. and um, Mike was just working his ass off to get me involved in the hobby you know what i mean he's like here have all of these codexes just look through them until you see something you like and i remember landing on striking scorpions and the eldar codex and going they look like predator that's awesome what's that and he's like why don't you just grab that codex and read through the whole thing and i did and of course i didn't land on striking scorpions as being the thing that i gravitated towards the most it was the eldar in total like Walking the path, and all that kind of stuff. I've, I've talked about it before, but it, it just resonated with me in a really big way. And I'm sure that so many people could have a similar experience if they open themselves up to, yeah. to that type of thing. Yeah.
1: And certainly, you know, the more you talk about Warhammer within groups of people that you would otherwise not discuss <laughs> your nerdy hobbies with. The more you realise that almost everyone has had some kind of connection yeah. with it in their life, and they, you know, a lot of people said to me, "Oh man, yeah, my brother had that when we were kids. I always thought it looked pretty cool." Yeah. But then it just kind of got went by the wayside. They grew up. They didn't want to play with the yeah. plastic toys anymore. But then people realise those multifaceted aspects of how it can be this amazing, yeah. creative narrative expression wish i kept those Mm. i wish i'd realized that this might be something i want to keep doing
0: well i think on the face of it when you see things like space marines that might not resonate with everyone Mm. i mean they're sort of like pushed to the forefront of warhammer 40k as being the marquee you know armies that Mm. people play but they're nowhere near the be all and end all of the hobby and uh yeah it's just I know what it's like. You like you want to needle people into liking the things that you like. So you just want to show them a little different version of it. Or maybe you might like the Sisters of Battle. Or maybe you might like Tyranids. Do you like Tyranids? Like, but you know, it's coming from a good place. is what I'm saying. I'm just... But uh, yeah, moving forward from all of the nerd talk. You know what? Actually, I don't want to move forward from the nerd talk. I want to talk more nerd talk. You know, last week I had Leon Valley on and we were talking about... Dungeons and Dragons, and we ended up talking about Dungeons and Dragons for like 20 to 30 minutes of just like us talking about experiences that he had. And he told me a story about how he was on this campaign, and it took four or five years to play this campaign out, which is exactly what happens in Dungeons and Dragons, right? And he told me this off air, and he and he did a quest really early on in the campaign uh, where he saved, you know, just a peasant man. I uh, rescued him, or something like this. And the peasant was like, "Oh, you know, if you ever need a favor." Or... no, he asked him for a favor in Draconian, because he knew how to speak that language. And then he's like, "Okay, uh, I'll grant you a favor." And he gave him a dragon scale. And then that you know, four or five years later, after this character had died, and he played as a different character, and then resurrected the same character who still had this dragon scale. Right at the end, when they're in the Hell Oblivion realm. Uh, When they're right at the end of this campaign, you know, a massive uh, demon or deity like appears to just destroy them all. And he finally like squeezes this dragon scale that he got five real world years ago and makes this, you know, the the incarnation of Bapomet appear. (laughs) And they have this grand scale like deity battle I'm just like I'm listening to him say this kind of stuff and I'm like if you say this to anyone else they're not going to believe you that it happened or believe that it was a, a thing ever but that's what real nerd talk sounds like and I was just hanging off the edge of my seat as he's telling me this story and I've just butchered his story <laughs> you know I've taken his story from him and I've butchered his story but you know that's how it
1: is and it was off air so he can't prove it.
0: yeah he can't prove that I did that um I think the reason why I was bringing up stories is because, yeah, that's right, one of the questions that was asked is, you know, because you were tests. Mm. <laughs> do you have any stories from the outsider of looking off, Ian, of back in of back-in-the-day MMA stuff or back-in-the-day day jujitsu stuff? Any accounts of, you know, uh, a young Ant Bino or a, or a young Nick Hughes being a crazy little kid? That's probably a pretty broad question. <laughs>
1: I mean, I've, I've been around for a lot of things. Yes. I never, I don't think, I don't think I ever saw you in the lead up to fight. Okay. You were kind of, I think you had a fight booked when I first showed up on the scene, but then. Stuff happened. Yes, yeah, stuff happened <laughs> and then you didn't have a fight. I saw Crosby training for a fight at Planet Max. Oh, man. <laughs> Which was a roller coaster of emotion for <laughs> everyone involved.
0: <laughs> Tom the Roller Coaster Crosby. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, I mean, watching Chris Collette, who's one of my favourite people in the universe, you know, jumping in with 20 year olds who are yeah. full bore, full energy, full power. Yeah, 20 year olds are like fight.
0: 20 to 30 years his junior. Yeah. Man, he's just jumping in. Yeah. yeah. And
1: he's just grinding them to the ground amazing um but then i mean the first jujitsu compa ever came and watched was states in
0: 2012 i think
1: and that was the first time i ever met dan dwyer (laughs) who had cut weight and not eaten for 24 hours to make weight (laughs) and then started to eat a four pack of muffins (laughs) Before someone said to him, but Dan, you haven't even weighed in yet. Oh. And so he had to then stop eating the four-pack of muffins and had to go away in. Hilarious. And then Tony Caruso's hurting his ribs and having this little ice baby that he was <laughs> cradling by his ribs. That he was giving a drink out of his water bottle. Oh
0: my God, to keep it
1: cool. Yeah, it was just... It was a truly adorable oh, sight.
0: And this is all before you ever stepped on. Oh yeah, as well.
1: well before. Okay. I mean, there were there's some amazing things that happened at that competition that I had no comprehension of what yeah. I was seeing at the time. I remember being so struck by Antonio Caruso's jiu jitsu mm. and being like, "Wow, that guy's really good," because mm. he was a purple belt at the time and just so technical. I didn't really know what the teammates were, but <laughs> I could tell it was put together. Tell it was good, yeah, 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 yeah. And then, I mean, now he trains here. Yeah. Um, you know, Mike Turner and Tom Crosby were in a division with Craig Jones.
0: Yeah. At that yeah. competition.
1: And I've got pictures of the three of them on the podium <laughs> on my phone.
0: That's awesome. Like yeah, I, I remember I being complex. at the Synergy where Tom Crosby was on Oxygen. <laughs> It was like uh, a very late inclusion to the competition at Synergy uh, and he hadn't been training that much uh, and I think he was sick on the day and he had entered into the open weight because it was one of the first times there was ever a cash prize Mm. and um, he was on oxygen uh, in between his matches and then ended up beating craig jones in the final to win like a hundred bucks he could he could have gone to hospital after you know what i mean? I love those stories and that's why i want to ask you about stories i mean we could probably sit here all day and just recount tales of like traveling over to canberra for brace for war and things like that i mean there's been so many things that have happened in and around the scene but my point is that you've been there for all of them there's a reason why you You've been there every little step of the way. Yes, there was a little bit of stuff that happened before that, but I'm glad you missed it because you didn't have to see me in those <laughs> points in time. But, you know, being a coach uh, and being your coach and someone who's uh, had a hand in, in guiding you and helping you and I've really hoped that I've instilled a bit of confidence in you in your jujitsu and what you can achieve uh, both with thought and with physical action as well. Uh, And I've been, yeah, I've been very proud of what you've been able to achieve. And that's why I still, to this day, use you as an example of what a good role model in an academy can look like. Um, But I think from this moment onwards, we get some really good chances to make our own stories, make new stories for the people who are coming through right now. And is there anything that um, you wish to see for the future in terms of, you know, this academy and moving forward with MMA or moving forward with classes or other opportunities, possibly opportunities for female athletes as well? Mm. Or do you think we're doing okay?
1: I think we're doing okay. okay. I, I am really heartened to see newer females in the gym, you know, wanting to be competing, um, seeing Laurie, yeah, you know, working towards an interclub, Seeing some of the other girls, you know, competing regularly in jiu-jitsu, mm. seeing Avery grade into brown belt and yeah. starting to coach, it's all really, really cool. Mm. And, you know, I've taken a bit of a setback from competitive ventures and I've been very busy with work, but just being able to be around and feel that positive forward momentum is really important. And also, you know, the, the way that the whole of the team and all of the young people who have joined over the past year since Mm -hmm. COVID, you know, there's such a positive, talented, supportive group of people that are coming through. Um, And it's just, it's really, it's really cool. Like it feels like this next generation of Our family. It's like when your cousins, like, turn 16 (laughs) going to be grown-ups and they're starting to make decisions about their life. Like, it's the same thing with, you know, these guys who were starting as 15-year-olds here last year and watching them, you know, make decisions about their progression. Yeah, that's
0: right. Where they want to go, like Antonio and and mm -hmm. young Alec as well. And look, there's so many more, but they're the ones that come to mind right now because they're the younger contingent who Mm -hmm. just, you know, they've been given this environment to figure things out in, yeah. and they've come to their own conclusions about exactly what you said how they want to progress and yeah. what they want to do and yeah, there's going to be so many more so many more well I've got to thank you uh, I, towards the end of the podcast I always give time for thank yous but I'm jumping in to thank you from Creeper Test who was outside the, outside the cage looking in to stepping onto the mats forging a pathway of progression and technique and then aiding and paving the way you are where you are right now via no accident. Uh, it's been a very impressive uh, thing that you've done, not just you know on the mats, but off the mats as well. Uh, you are a role model, you are going to continue to lead and that's never gonna change. And I'm very thankful to have you as an influence in this academy. And I've been very thankful to have you uh, in my ear when I'm being stupid, calling me out on my bullshit, which I need a lot. Uh, but also giving me encouragement and insights along the way as well. and I, I need that too. Um, so, yeah, this podcast is all about just sitting people down and telling them nice things about themselves. So I'm uh, very, very thankful and very, very glad. Um, now it's your turn. Do you have any any people that you'd like to thank before we head off?
1: I mean, everybody. I'm just, <laughs> I'm so grateful for the community of people I've been Privilege to interact with, work with, train with, cry with over the years. Um, you know, I've been so supported by yourself, Mike, Anthony, Dan, Avery, everyone in the various ventures that I've undertaken over the past number of years. And without those people around, without Ant coming to them in every training session to hold pads for me in the lead up to my fight, those mm. things just wouldn't have happened. Um, and the people that I train with every time I'm here. The positive energy that they bring to the gym is so appreciated because without that community of people, like I said, it wouldn't be what it is for so many of us. Mm-hmm. So thanks to everyone here. <laughs> really, I mean, every single person has their own role within this gym and without all the pieces of the puzzle, it doesn't feel right.
0: Yeah. yeah,
1: And, yeah, it, everyone is... So cool. <laughs> Come and train Trinity. It's great.
0: Honestly, I couldn't agree more. I might be biased, but, you know, I'm allowed to be. Thank you so much, Tess, for coming on today. I really appreciate thank it. You. I hope you had a good time. I hope everyone that listens gets a little bit of entertainment as well yes. and some insights too. All right. Thank you, everyone. Please stay tuned because we'll be back same bat time, same bat channel for all the bat fans out there.